Hey friends, what's the value of a great story? And can you make a living telling stories? And what if you did that for the Lord? You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 305, Benjamin Hunter and Telling a Great Story. show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. Thanks so much for joining us. As always, I'm excited about our conversation. Uh, he's, I don't know if old friend counts, but uh, a friend uh, from a while ago. I haven't had a chance to see him, so we're going to we're gonna hear more about uh, about him. I can't wait to do that. Friends, if you uh, do, when, when, when you enjoy the show, would you just do me a favor and shoot a text to a friend and say, hey, you should listen to this or post on your socials and give me a tag when you do that. I'd love that. Um, and if you're able and you're interested, you want to help support the show, just go to halfwaythereapodcast.com. Uh, lots of uh, you are contributing on Patreon and that does help every single month. Help us keep the show running, helps, uh, helps keep me able to do the things, all the things that I do. So thanks for that. Um, guys, I'm excited, like I said, to have our guest today. He is a, I love this, a Christian Colorado filmmaker and he, who loves to tell stories of all sizes. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Uh, our guest is Benjamin Hunter. Ben, welcome to Halfway There. Hey, how you doing today? I'm good. Welcome to the show. I'm really glad to have you here. And we were reminiscing and talking a little bit. It's been a while since we uh, we used to go to church together, and it's been a while. So it's exciting to to see you and maybe hear a little more about your story that perhaps I didn't know. Start with just kind of where you are, and what God where God has you right now. We just moved to Highlands Ranch. So we just bought a house not far from you, um, and we're about to have a baby boy next month. So it's going to be two in the house. I have a three-year-old. Uh, I've been married for about four years, and I've been doing filmmaking for eight or nine years now, I'd say, if we include college and all the experience I got before that. Um, yeah, so I'd say I'm starting out on the journey in a lot of ways, but I do have some experience under my belt. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly more than I do. That that will say that. So not hard to do though. So um so tell me about and you also have your own production company, right? Correct. Yeah, I have my own production company. It's called 33 Years Productions. A lot of people ask me what in the world the name is because I am not 33 years old yet. I'm 29. <laughs> um okay. but the answer is it's how many years Jesus was alive or the year 33 AD, which is roughly mm -hmm. around the time that Jesus died. And he lived on this take, earth yeah. for 33 years. So it right. is a Christian production company. Um, and I try to put out a message that everybody wants to hear, not just Christians. Excellent. I love that. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll get into how you fell in love with uh, storytelling and filmmaking as we go. Uh, I know that you grew up in, in this area where I am in Denver, right? So um, in a Christian family, but tell me about that. Tell me about what that was like for you. Sure. Um, I grew up in Littleton, um, and I was born into a Christian home. I accepted Jesus when I was about five or six is what I've been told. And I seem to remember that. Um, and my dad's a rocket scientist. <laughs> my mom was a Literally, teacher. Right? 
Um, and my mom was a stay at home mom for the entire time I was growing up. Um, the one caveat to all of that, that changes how I grew up is my youngest brother, Joshua, who had cerebral palsy. For those who don't know what that means, that means that he couldn't control his body and he couldn't talk or walk. So he was wheelchair bound and he had a very different personality in a good way. Um, but it meant that a lot of things were different for my family than a lot of others of getting around and day-to-day things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like what, describe that for us and how that specifically impacted you. Sure. Um, one of the biggest things is a lot of people say, all right, we're going to get in the car and go somewhere. And, you know, if you have a toddler that might take an extra 15 minutes, maybe when you have a kid like Joshua, it might take like an hour to know that you're going to go and do something and you have to load him into the wheelchair, load the wheelchair into the van, put the tie downs on. And we were never on time to anything. It felt like, um, and it wasn't that we weren't trying to be on time. It just never happened because X, Y, or Z didn't make it in the car. Um, and as the oldest of four with Joshua being the youngest, I felt a lot of responsibility to help with that because my mom was doing it all by herself for several years before she got help. Um, Mm -hmm. So that really informed my character and my personality in a lot of ways is I like to help everybody. Yeah. So that's okay. Dive into that a little bit. How did, how did helping your mom and helping your your brother and he was a, he was a great, I was going to say kid, but I think he was, was he 20? Yes. Yeah. He was 20 when he he passed away in uh, 2018 at the age of 20. Yeah. Yeah, I remember remember seeing him every Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, would, would come. Your parents would be there. Yeah, that inspired you to want to help others. Um, specifically, it helps me to feel like it doesn't matter what physical capabilities anybody has; everybody's the same, or you should treat them the same. So, just because mm-hmm. somebody has a cane or a wheelchair or they have a slur to their speech, that doesn't mean that they're entirely different from me. And I take it more at face value than some people do. Um, The helping part, I just felt like nobody else was going to do it because I was the oldest and the biggest and the strongest. Um, So I've always found ways to help people out whenever I could. And in some ways, it's, it's become something that's made me very trusting of people, which is a good thing. But at the same time, not a good thing, which my wife will tell you who had a background in criminal justice so <laughs> <laughs> yeah right that's that's an interesting double-edged sword right yes. so it's it's so good to to trust people and yet not everyone is trustworthy and so you, you may have had to learn that the hard way i'm guessing yeah there's been a few people um and there's also been the flip side where i've taken too much trust in somebody and um taken it the wrong way where I've had to, uh, I had to bend some corners and places when I wasn't making enough money. And, uh, I regret that decision. So. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, so how did that, I know you said that you, I know that you said that you had given your life to Christ as, as a young kid. Yes. Growing up in a Christian family. This is a, this is youth group kids all, all over the place. Right? Uh-huh. But how did your, uh, how did Joshua influence in, in helping your mom? How did that influence your relationship with God? Did that 
did that cause you any questions? Did that cause you any kind of? The one thing I'll say is it's always made me wonder the what if that everybody asks of what if Joshua was my normal baby brother that Hmm. um, could walk and talk and go to school normally and all of that, how things would have been different. Um, I think it, it definitely informed my faith to care for other people, no matter the circumstances is the biggest Mm. thing. Um, Because I grew up homeschooled for until the fourth grade. So I was at public school from fourth grade till high school. Um, And that put a box around me. And then having a disabled brother also put a box around me, but in a good way, because a lot of my friends when I was first starting public schools had disabilities because I didn't care. So I sat at their table Mm. um, and I befriended them in a lot of ways that other kids just didn't want to because they were different or weird, whatever label they put on them. Um, And I know I made an impact on some of them. Um, Others I haven't seen in 15 years, so I don't know where they're at. Sure. Yeah, that's kind of how that goes. That's really fascinating. I hear you talking a lot about what I would just say is the dignity of the human person. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, re- regardless of disability or, um, you know, whatever else might appear to be different, there's dignity there. And as a as a Christian, we have to we have to honor that. And I feel like sometimes, man, that gets way blown out of proportion. We don't have to look much further than social media to to really think about that, mm-hmm. right? Uh, how we treat each other lacking that dignity, maybe without the dignity. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. There's, it can be hard to love people who are not the same as you is, is the easiest yeah. way to say it. Um, and I've struggled with that at my current job because there's people from all different backgrounds and may not agree with everything I say, but hearing why they say that what they say is important and um giving them the voice without saying you can't talk about that here and vice versa like i want to be able to do the same at my job so yeah 100 percent. i love that okay so when did you so you you again you gave your life to christ early you grew up in church when did your faith start to become your own and, and become like something that you decided you wanted to take personally and seriously so that jumps to my teenage years um i wrote that down actually when i was listening to one of the other ones um around the time i graduated high school and i had started my first job got my first car a little bit of independence a little bit of responsibility um that job wouldn't let me go to church on Sunday sometimes because they'd schedule me for the morning shift on Sunday. It felt like every week for Mm. multiple months. Um, And I told them, Hey, I'd like to not do that anymore. And they said, sure, we'll work on it. And it just turned into an excuse for me to not go anymore. And we grew up going as much as physically possible. So even if my mom and Joshua would decide to stay home, my dad would still take the rest of us um, rather than just saying, no, we're not going to go. But at the same time, we didn't go every week. So I turned it into an excuse of, oh, I'll go next week. I'll go next week or I'll go whenever. Um, yeah. And I wouldn't say it drastically took me off the path, but it did take me off enough that when I went back, 
for the first time. It was a Sunday evening service at, uh, oh boy, I'm not going to remember the name of the actual church. So my church had three churches that met there. There was Bethany Evangelical Free at down the street from your church. Mm-hmm. Um, then they had Vida Nueva, which was a Spanish church, Spanish-speaking church. And then there was, oh, Trail Life. That was the name of it. It was an evening group that would meet on Sundays. Anyway, so I could go after work. And I decided, what the heck, I'll go. Because I haven't been in however many weeks. And the pastor talked about, oh boy. He had just come back from sabbatical. And he was talking about what he'd learned on sabbatical. And I can't remember exactly what he said right this second. But it made me cry and fall Mm. on my knees and think about how I drifted away from God. And I wasn't pursuing him actively. I was pursuing lots of other hobbies, lots of other things. Um, And I had a hard time dating when I was that age, too. I, I didn't date anybody seriously until I was 21, which is very weird for anybody who's a teenage guy. Um, yeah. seeing all your friends do it and it, it's okay. not like you have to, but it feels like you should. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't go to dances in high school. I was the kid who would leave right after the bell and go home, um, to yeah. play video games. <laughs> okay. Um, and anyway, to circle back after that experience, I decided to get baptized and to actually make it my own and to follow okay. him of my own personal volition. Um, the The problem is, is that it turned topsy-turvy on me with what I said, which was something I learned because my boss had let me have enough of the morning off to get baptized on Easter Sunday, but I still had to go to work. <laughs> and what? I told somebody at the checkout desk, because I was working at Walgreens, um, the story and she's left this bad review for the store manager and he called me in and it was this whole debacle oh, <laughs> of no. like we gave you the time off but you feel ungrateful and I'm like no I'm not ungrateful I'm sorry I won't do this again it was that realization of what you say has some weight to it in various settings mm-hmm. and that was one of them and I I just learned to not talk about that anymore at work yeah. <laughs> right Right. Yeah, I get that. Uh, interesting. Okay. So you, okay. So you got baptized. It sounds like that was kind of a, a formative experience. Mm-hmm. What, um, what, so how did you start to, you're making it your own. how did you start to like grow in your faith? You probably had like a really solid foundation, but how'd you, how'd you decide to like where you're going to grow and how you're going to, how you're going to do that? The main thing I learned from after getting baptized and having that experience was that I just needed to start praying every day, even if it was for 30 seconds or five minutes, whatever it was. And I've kept that up all the way through the pandemic um, for the most part, because it was the thing I felt like I could do even when the world was falling apart. Um, I haven't been a very good Bible reader throughout my whole life. I was as a kid because I did Awanas with uh, Mission Hills and then um, BBS, all of those things. 
So I I memorized all the famous verses, but I couldn't quote the scripture to you. I can quote the scripture and not the reference, which is kind of like what they say in the movies when you can't tell you who made the movie, but you can recognize the quote. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, so is that sort of answer the yeah. question yeah 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 that's um, good. so and, and that's okay so i'm not looking for anything in particular what i want to know is like oftentimes we have these moments of inflection like inflection points right mm-hmm. like you you know as a, as a storyteller a filmmaker like sometimes you show these little tiny things but they actually have these bigger consequences later and so yes. i'm wondering if you have any of those kind of moments in your in your walk where you're going okay some you know for some people it's like a they go to a camp or they go to this one group or whatever. They have a mentor or a book or something. Um, and it's okay. If not, no big, no big deal. I'm just, those are the kind of things that I'm, I'm well, um, wondering about. I can circle back to the whole boyfriend, girlfriend relationship thing. Um, because ever since I had my first crush, <laughs> I decided that I was just going to keep it secret because I didn't have a lot of people skills. Um, And I blame just being an introvert and being a gamer and deciding that that was my world. And I wanted to stay in that box for a lot of that. Um, And I went through probably seven to eight years of just trying and trying to do it myself, not including God in it, or I'd be like, I want this, or I'd like to do this. And I really didn't Mm. invite him into the process during most of it um, until I dated my first girlfriend, which was in, gosh, that was eight years ago now. (laughs) Um, anyway, I, I, that one, I just decided she's interested. I'll give it a shot, but I didn't really have thought about it myself. Um, so it was almost the flip side of that point is, um, when I finally gave up relationships to God and said, you can handle this. I'm tired of it. I can't do it by myself. It's too much. Um, that's when I met my wife (laughs) was out of the blue um, going to a speed dating event that somebody else had informed me of. And I just thought, well, sure, whatever. I'll, I'll do it for fun. And I met like 16 girls at this speed dating thing (laughs) in the park on a a picnic um, blanket and we had like that's like the jackpot for an introvert. I know, right? right? It was six <laughs> minutes with each person, and I don't remember half the questions. The only things uh, I think we remember talking about was uh, baseball, hockey, and hiking are like the three things. Um, and I did go on dates with a few of the other girls in the group before I met Sharice um, for the first time. But yeah, you're like. It, you're right. That is the, the, the positive side of the story that I've never found is that I was an introvert. So I needed to have that one-on-one time, not in yeah. a giant group party environment, which I experienced a lot of in college with the young adults group. Um, yeah. So that that's a example of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So how did you then get into like storytelling and filmmaking specifically? So if we go all the way back, I was the typical kid who played with his dad's um, tape camera back in the nineties, early two thousands. And I was shooting film photography as often as I could in a way I'd get handed those throwaway that you'd take on a trip. I 
three or four times in my life, I can remember somebody handing it to me and be like, here, go shoot a bunch of pictures on your Christmas oh, break nice. or on your summer break or, um, and that was fun. And I seem to have a lot more fun with it than my brother and sister did for some reason, but I didn't catch on to mm-hmm. it at that point. What I did like doing was picking up the video camera and playing with a friend of mine. Um, his name's Paul Duncan. And ironically, he's part of a documentary I'm working on right now in a oh, way, cool. um, but not directly involved. Anyway, um, we would just make up these crazy stories and film them and edit them in camera. So we just start, stop, start, stop and shoot them, whatever story it was. And I need to ask him if he still has that tape because it would be hilarious to watch those now. Um, Cause it was a big <laughs> right? old tape camera that you'd put on your shoulder and then just hit record. So it was like being on a TV or being a TV newscaster and going out and shooting. Um, but the first real experience that made me like it was the cinematography merit badge in Boy Scouts, which will oh, yeah. come back to Boy Scouts in a little bit because I ended up making a film about them. Um, but I took that merit badge mostly because I needed an elective and I was at summer camp and I just wanted to have fun with it. The one thing I regret though is that we were involved in the storytelling part, the scripting, the shooting, but we didn't have any involvement in the post-production in editing um the our merit badge counselor did all of that for us and i could swear he used iMovie because there's a couple transitions in there that are very iMovie looking (laughs) (laughs) um but and the other thing i regret is they wouldn't let us shoot at night so we had a scene that was shot like it was in the 60s or 70s, if people remember on TV, when they could not shoot at night or it had to be on a stage, they'd shoot it like a, a fake blue hour in the shade look. And there was an entire scene in there that was like that, that rubbed me the wrong way. And I was like, I wish I could shoot that at night. It would have been nice. But yeah. we also didn't have lights. We just had a camera and a microphone. So it would have been difficult. Um, so that happened. Then a couple years later, a friend of mine got into Colorado film school and was actually pursuing this as a degree and a, um, a career. And I said, you know what? I'd like to actually try to make my own project from start to end and tell me how I do that. Mm. So he walked me through the steps. Um, so we had a brainstorming Mm. session. We, made a plot we made the script um made the shot list shot the whole thing and because i was an all-around artist at the time i've drawn i've painted i've done photography sculpting all of the other art forms because i wanted to be just a normal artist for the longest time but Mm. my mom kept telling me well you can't make any money at that you're not gonna do well Ah. and i was like okay maybe i should have said no to her but (laughs) Um, full circle story about that in a minute. Um, anyway, I ended up helping make the props and the costumes for this because it was a star Wars fan fiction called Sith hunters and (laughs) it's pretty cheesy, but it's better than what I made in the cinematography merit badge. Um, but I edit, I directed, acted, produced all of that for that, for that film. And learned a ton from it. But the main reason I did it was because I wanted to learn how to do the effects they did in Star Wars. 
because Star Wars yeah. is a huge thing in my life. I have a whole bunch of the helmets in the background there. <laughs> um, and I have a whole bunch of lightsabers behind me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wanted to know how did they do that? And I couldn't obviously do it the way that they did it in the seventies when they had studios and everything. But the good thing on my part was this was 2012, 2013. So digital things were pretty big and starting to get somewhere. So I got a free license to uh, Adobe After Effects and did all of the lasers and lightsabers and explosions and all of that and had a ton of fun with it. Um, I also learned how time consuming it is and that it wasn't really the aspect I was looking for in filmmaking. But that took me all the way through film school to learn that, that I really wanted to just tell the story write it, direct it, produce it in a way, and edit it. Because um, a movie in a lot of ways is made three times. You write it the way you want to shoot it. Then you shoot it and you realize, ooh, I can't do that. Ooh, I need to change that because of <laughs> the location doesn't let you or you don't have the budget or whatever reason, but you still want to make the story. And then in editing you re-edit the whole film again from the script. So you chop out whole scenes or you put a scene in a totally different spot because it makes more sense. Um, so you're editing the film three times in a way and making the film three times before it gets shown to any audience. Yeah, I think that's one of the things people don't understand about like movies and even TV is that way, right? Like there's so much to it that like, like even actors get a lot of credit, but oftentimes actors are there for just, you know, two weeks or a month or whatever yes. shooting. Um, yeah. They're, they're there. They're, they're there for however long their part is on the schedule. And let me tell right. you, the person making the schedule makes it as short as possible so that they're paying them as little as possible in right. some cases, especially if you're on a low budget, but even big budgets. Um, like let's say that, Steven Spielberg's hiring Michael J. Fox. They're going to pick the shortest time window they can to shoot it in so that they spend the least amount of money so that they can make money back on it. Um, but you, my, my rule of thumb that I like to tell people that makes them open their eyes is most features only shoot two to five pages of script per day. So wow. if you take a full two-hour feature you do the math of how many shooting days that is. And then you have to add contingencies and travel and all of that accommodations. Yeah. Reshoots. That's how you get to a giant $50 million, $100 million budget for things. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. I just think that's really interesting. Okay. So you decided, all right, not going to do. Yeah. So that going back to the storyline of that, um, I didn't start, in film school and college. I started as a mechanical engineering major, which is because I had this talk with my dad where I said, or he had a talk with me rather. because I was basically just falling in line when everybody asked me, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And I, a lot of people asked me about the army because I liked wearing camouflage and that's just, Uh that's just what I liked wearing. So they thought I wanted to be in the army. And I said, no, I don't really want to be in the army mostly because I had probably a dozen friends at Boy Scouts that were already doing that. So I felt like Mm. I don't need to do that. I'm not fit for that. 
Um, there's more gun ho people that would be happy to do that. Yeah, it's a little pipeline. Yeah. Um, and then the so I picked mechanical engineering because my dad has an engineering science major, which is essentially take all of the different disciplines in engineering and he took little bits of all of them and mostly mechanical and electrical, I think is what he's told me, but he learned civil, he learned chemical, he learned all of those. So I figured, well, I like math. I like science. I'll start there, see where it goes. <laughs> the flip side of the coin is all my electives were art classes because I wanted to, and I could pick anything because mm. it's, it's an elective. So yeah. I took drawing, I took sculpture, I took um, graphic design and ended up in game design and development where I figured I could make my own games because I already liked playing them. Um, and I learned that there was a lot of storytelling in that, but it was another one of those where I talked myself out of it um, because I'd talked to several people who made games here in Colorado and they were making $30,000 a year, maybe, and barely yeah. scraping by. And I was like, I don't really want to do that because the whole mentality I had, I started high school right before the recession in 2008. So I, I started okay. high school in 2007, 2008, <laughs> and I was basically okay, screwed from the beginning. <laughs> You're making me feel old. I graduated seminary in 2009. Oh, I know. Right? So. What, what I'm saying is I literally heard from my parents in my freshman yeah. year of high school, you're not going to be able to go to an expensive school. And I was like, okay, that's nice. Right. Because my college fund had gotten cut in like half or third because of that. Um, right. Anyway, I'm trying to get back to where I was. Game design. So yeah, yeah. I, I left game design because I didn't think it would make me enough money. Ironically, filmmaking doesn't make that much if you're an indie, but I liked it better. Um, yeah. I went into digital design, as they call it, which is graphics. Um, I learned how to make um, logos, posters, anything that was print. And that has suited me to this day. But I had a teacher who saw my work that I'd done on that little tiny film that I made when I submitted my portfolio to keep going in that degree because they'd only let 90 kids into the program for the second year, I think it was. Oh, and wow. she said, I think you're in the wrong place. She, my portfolio and said, I think you should go check out the film department. And I was like, there's a four-year film degree here. What? <laughs> <laughs> so it was one of those God moments where I wouldn't have been able to do filmmaking as a four-year degree until that moment because it didn't really exist in the same way it did when I took it at that school it it yeah it was um in the baby steps of getting to there for the full five years four years that I hadn't been there because it took me seven years to get through college which for just a, a bachelor's degree and what I like to say is I basically earned a doctorate but chose not to take the last year because <laughs> they let me. <laughs> right. Um, nice. Yeah. So that that's how I got through film school. Learned a ton there. Um, and then ironically, I work at the same place I graduated from. But I had a little bit of a stint in a different industry, which was school bus driving. That's why I did that for about two years. Um, and then one of my old professors calls me and says, 
your your old boss quit at the cage, um, managing all the equipment. Would you like the job? And I said, uh, sure. Yeah. So it was one of those crazy out of the blue phone calls. I was talking to my dad about something in between shifts at the driving a bus. And I was completely blown back by that offer. Um, and then I started making the film I'm going to talk to you more about called true North. Um, because I wanted people to take me seriously. <laughs> and when you show anything that has, um, student labeled on it, people have a certain mentality about it of, Oh, this isn't going to be good. No matter what the content is, it can be a great movie. Like, George Lucas made award-winning stuff in his film school days. But yeah. the minute you say that you made it while you were a student, people take you down a notch or two. So I decided I wanted to make another story that was not tied to the school so that I could prove that I knew what I was doing. Yeah, awesome. Okay. So I love that. A couple one thing I want to highlight, sure. particularly for for our friends listening, is that you knew you were an artist. Yes. That whole time. I did. And God bless your parents. They're great people. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, because I, but I heard the same messages, right? I grew up in, in Iowa, you know, pretty blue collar mm-hmm. kind of area. And it just, nobody got it. Nobody understood how you could make a living as an artist yep. that people do it every day. Yep. Right. Cause it was just, no, you get a job and you do your job and you go every day and then you come home and you can have a life on the weekends, but not during, not during the right. week. Right. And, um, and I just, like, I didn't get that. So that's why I actually ended up going to Bible school and seminary mm-hmm. for the same reasons, right? Because, well, you got to do something that actually people will pay for, yep. right? Yep. But what? But the reality is, my I'm so proud of this. My daughter is, I, what I, she wants to be a writer. And what I told her, and this is maybe true for you too, hey, look, you can do anything you want, right? Yeah. You can, you can be a writer. People make my, a living writing every day, but you have to understand the business of it. Right? Yes. So you go, there's a, there's a craft and there's a business. Mm-hmm. And if you understand both of those, you are able to do the thing you want for, for as long as you want. Yep. Right. Um, so, uh, that's my little diatribe about being an artist. You can be an artist. It's never been more possible, but it does, does take some work. Yeah, totally. Yes. Uh, but anyway, so I'm glad to hear that you struggled through that and you decided, okay, this is where I'm going to go and kind of things worked out for you. Yeah. Um, and the the two minute version of what I just said in 10 or 15, I'm guessing, um, was that I figured out from all those other art forms that the thing I really liked the most was problem solving and making movies mm. is problem solving all day, every day, because yeah. <laughs> you're deciding yeah. where's the camera going, where are the actors going to walk, why are they doing that? And what does it mean to the story? And that's what drew me to when people kept asking me, well, what do you do in the industry? And I eventually finally decided I'm a writer, director, producer. I do all the other things, but those are the ones I really want to be doing is writing and directing Mm -hmm. and the producing side. Most people think of the producer only when they see the Academy Awards and they win the best motion picture that gets handed to the producer. And they say, why isn't it given to the director or the best actor? The reason is the producer is doing all that business work behind the scenes, calling all the people, paying all the checks, um, managing the whole production from the grand scheme of things. So, And I've ended up doing that on all my movies to one extent or another. 
whether I've had somebody helping me or doing it all by myself. Um, problem solving. And I also wanted to make my art as photo real as I could. And I realized that I was in the wrong medium for that because you can draw photo realistically if you want. I've seen some amazing drawings and some amazing paintings from the Renaissance era all the way up to the present where people have managed to master that skill. But for me, it felt much more um, natural to shoot photos or to shoot video um, and to tell a story through motion rather than, and people connect so much with the movies they've seen. It has a huge impact on who they are and how they think and what their life experience is. So it felt like a good place Mm. for me to be. Um. We're talking about your vocation and your calling. And oftentimes God and our understanding of God is wrapped up in that. So yes. what, has, you, has that been true for you? Um, yes and no. That I was about to say something very similar to that question, though, was um, the formation of my production company was off of this harebrained idea that I can only explain was God talking to me, which a lot of people look at me funny when I say that, but... I can't, Not here. I cannot, That's where we talk about cannot explain where that thought came into my head other than it had to have been God was that I should start a Christian production company in Colorado. And that has a lot of weight to it. If you're in the film and TV world, because hmm. Denver has a lot of commercial work. It has a lot of documentary work. It does not have a ton of fiction work like Hollywood does or New York um, maybe someday it'll be different. Um, I know a lot of independent filmmakers here that do great work, but having God say that specifically and in Colorado, that Colorado was like the linchpin that I was like, okay, I don't know how to do that, but I'll try. And yeah. I'm not kidding when I say every other step along the way, he's been guiding me to do that and showing me the next step on the path. Um, because I had no idea what to do as a businessman. I had no idea how to make an LLC. I had no idea what I was actually worth when I had that thought as far as working on someone else's film as a cinematographer or a key grip gaffer, whatever it is. Um, and I didn't have a clue what it was like to actually manage a production. Um, I did and I didn't. And since then, I've learned a lot of those key pieces um, to hopefully make a feature someday that makes enough money to keep doing it and to keep showing it to audiences. Like you said, the business behind the art. Um, I've got the craft. I feel good with the craft. Mm -hmm. I need to learn some more of the business. I love that. Man, it's all about it's all about that balance for sure. Okay, well, I think that's fantastic. So you have made a your your latest project is called True North. You mentioned a couple times. Mm-hmm. Tell us about about that and kind of what you know what. Tell us the story of like how you made it and why and all that. Sure, I'll jump back to the pandemic days because that's when I wrote it. Um, I was it was right after we came out of the lockdown and it was like midsummer. So we could still go out and have fun at the park and it wasn't weird. So I went to the park one day and just said, what kind of movie do I want to make? And I made it a short film because making a feature is a huge task 
And in a lot of ways, it means quitting your job <laughs> because it takes, yeah. it takes almost a full month, even on a low indie budget to make a feature. So you either have to have like four weeks of paid time off up in the bank somewhere, or you got to quit your job or you got to take a leave of absence, whatever it is. Um, and that's scary as an adult, a dad, right. a husband, a homeowner. Yep. Um, so that part I haven't quite figured out yet. And I haven't figured out how to fund one yet. Um, anyway, I wanted to, every story I've told has been a personal experience in one way or another that I feel like other people are going to relate to. So for True North, it was um, a father-son relationship. Losing a family member is in there as well. Um, and being a Boy Scout was the main thing. And that's why it's called True North, because he has to find his way out of the, the woods after he gets himself lost with no map and no compass, ends up using the stars. The other half of the True North is that he has a rocky relationship with his dad because his mom is no longer in the picture and he's adopted. So he's not sure where that's supposed to sit because dad is an airline pilot and is gone for long stints at a time. So he felt closer to his mom. Um, that all came about from wanting to tell a story about scouting and making it personal so having him have some character development throughout the whole thing, starting from the cocky 17-year-old who thinks he knows what he's doing and has memorized the map and doesn't need it. Um, I won't give away any more because that'll ruin the film. I might have yeah. to cut some of that out. But um, so I started writing and I didn't make him quite the character he is in the first couple drafts. I started sharing it with my DP um, that's director of photography. So running the camera, his name's Tom Kazoyan. You've okay. possibly oh, yeah, met Tom. him. Um, yeah. so he and I got to work really closely on this one, which was a lot of fun because I'd been trying to find an excuse for that to happen. Nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, he makes, he's, he also does films yes. right? for yeah. somebody. His yeah, main yeah. thing is that he's a missionary and he does, he helps people learn how to use media to further their ministry. So he's working with a lot of on-the-ground missionaries in other countries that have maybe a phone and a microphone and a tripod. And how do you make that work? And how do you tell good stories with that? Um, that's his main thing. But he's based in Colorado, and I now live 10 minutes from him. And we were about 15, 20 when we made this. Um, but he helped me find some of the character flaws and some of the story flaws where I didn't have a reason for him to actually get lost. So he'd say, well, what, what if you change this up? And what if you add this character? And yeah, that's the biggest thing in filmmaking that a lot of people don't really realize is like you said, it's a giant crew that makes a film. It's not one or two people. And there are a few of those, but they are a lot of work and people are nuts to do that. Um, right. Collaboration is the word. You need to collaborate yep. with every single person on the crew and each person has a job for the reason they have the job. And usually that ends up being somebody that you've worked with in the past or you have a good recommendation from somebody else on the crew. That way, and this was the thing I learned from this film, was how do I delegate down all of these 
things so that I can focus on the story, the actors, and what's happening in the moment. (laughs) And the way to do that is to give the other jobs that I'm used to doing, like the cinematographer, the audio recorder, um, lighting, all of those things that I'm very well versed in, a way to other people that I trusted to make it better by doing that. And it's really scary as an artist to give away control of anything on a project because you want it to be the best it can be. So you figure, well, I have to hold all of it. And that's how I did everything in film school was (laughs) I would have a a piece of every pie, which is part of the, the director's job. But what I'm learning is, is you can still do that and still give them most of the workload and let them add to what you've already decided to do. Um, yep. Yeah. So we made it. Yeah. That, well, so I hear you talking about you're having to develop as a leader yes. and as a business person yes. and delegating is definitely part of, part of that. Uh, but, as, but also as an artist, because as an artist, particularly in a medium like filmmaking, you actually have to trust your other artists. Yes. Right. It's very, yes. it's, it's way more a team than it is an individual sport, right? You have to, sometimes kick the ball to some, whatever I'm now mixing all my <laughs> metaphors, but you, you get the idea, but right. You have, you have to let somebody and trust their artistry as well. Yes. Um, and a lot of that is figuring out what their style is. So for a cinematographer, you want to see what they've made before oh, sure. so that you can understand what they're going to make. And at the same time, the cinematographer is going to ask the director what they're looking for in the colors that are in the shot, the, how dark or light it is, is um, how saturated it is, all of those things. And like, what is, what is my, um, what's the director's inspiration? What are they going off of? Because there's hundreds, millions of films out there yeah. and you can draw right. from any one of those. Um, so Tom and I had a lot of conversations about what we wanted it to look like and why we wanted to move the camera where we moved the camera. Because there's a lot of films that I'm sure some of you have seen the B movies where the camera moves and you're like, why did you do that? You took me out of the story. (laughs) Because it jumps and you're like, whoa, why is that in the final edit? (laughs) Um, Versus versus somebody like Roger Deakins, who you never notice his cinematography because it's so invisible. And he spent his whole career doing that so that you can feel like you're in the story and not that you're watching something. You're not aware of that. Yeah. I love it. Fascinating. Okay, dude, I really uh, admire your commitment to following your heart. And I know that sometimes um, that gets, you know, panned in Christian circles, but I think God put something in you to be an artist, to tell these stories and we'll get to see, I'm excited to see in the next however many decades, yeah. what that turns out to look like and, and what God does with it. I think that's really great. Where can people find True North if they want to see it? So currently I have the trailer and a good little bio on my website. So that's 33yearsproductions.com. And then if you go to the True North tab, everything about the film is on there. And I plan on updating it as it goes to film festivals which is what Excellent. I've done. I've submitted to about eight so far. I hope to do 10 to 20 total 
so that it can show at an event that they're planning, not me. And mm-hmm. um, I'll let everybody know when that's happening. But I am also planning to have some screenings locally um, with scout troops and talking about oh, cool. why I made it and giving back a little bit because Boy Scouts actually endorsed it in a way. The film logo is in the end of the movie because we talked to the National um, Council. I don't think that's the right word. Um, about the script and the story before we shot it to see if they would okay it for us because we ended up using a lot of Boy Scout props in it that were from the mm. local Denver area council, which I am very grateful to them. They gave us 13 hiking backpacks for my extras so that we could actually have backpackers in the story hiking through the woods because it wasn't in the budget cool. to go buy uh, $200 backpacks for 13 extras. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So that if you want to follow the film though, there's also an Instagram account that's mm. true North short film. And there's a Facebook page that's true North short film and everything that happens with it. I've been posting to there and okay. mine is Benjamin S Hunter on Instagram. So Perfect. So people can find you there. I will definitely have links to all those things at halfwaytherepodcast.com in the show notes. Friends, go check those out. I encourage you follow Ben, follow uh, not just certainly this movie, but also uh, where, you know, where, where take, where life takes you, where your career takes you. Ben, thanks for sharing a little bit of your story. Is there anything you want to leave us with? The other project I'm working on that I can throw out there that everybody who knows me and knows what I'm working on is I mentioned my brother, Joshua. Um, he passed away a couple of years ago. So I'm making a film about his life and about disability. Um, and it is currently, I would call it in production. So I'm at the point where I'm making an edit of it and trying to figure out what needs to be made from there. So within the next year, I'm, I'm going to give myself a due date now. Um, I hope to have that film finished. And I hope to show that on something like PBS, um, where it actually goes cool. on national broadcast. So awesome. that's the other thing I'm working on. Excellent. Well, I think that would be a fantastic tribute and a good way for you to honor uh, Joshua. So I think that'll be, mm-hmm. that'll be awesome. Ben, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. Thank you.